I'm Yasi Salik, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm exhausted. How are you? I'm good. That's almost like, this is how we do it. <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I, I'm really tired. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, thanks. Long, long season. Very long, man. Very long. Very long season. Nearly done. We come at last. Well, the season's, the season's done. We're not come done. At last. It's the great mailbag of them all. The mailbag to rule them all. Our penultimate podcast of the season. The penalty cast. <laughs> Are you good though? I'm really good. Really good. Yeah? You yep. look well. I'm great. Thank you. Very welcome. Yes, yes. Isn't this nice? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we hope everyone else is staying safe, staying well wherever you are in the world. Quick bit of admin. 48 hours probably by the time you listen to this left on the Diced Up Tees. Mm. Yes, yes. If you are an Everton fan or if you know any Everton fans and you want to support Everton in the community and you want to have a t-shirt that references a very niche moment on a Stadio episode back in February, <laughs> I think it was, then go check our pinned tweet on Twitter, twitter.com forward, class, forward, slash, forward slash Stadio. All the profits are getting donated to Everton in the community. So go support that. Or if you have know any, like, I don't know, Everton subreddits or Everton fan forums, any Everton fans, please share them on that. We want to raise as much money as we can. And like we said on the last episode, they're not exactly flying out. We're a little bit too, <laughs> little bit too niche this even time. For us, we, yes. Even for us, even for us. Um, and um, yeah, we're going to do one more podcast after this. That'll go up on Thursday. Mm. And 
It's a little it's a little collab pod. Very excited about that. Um but yeah, today we're gonna answer some questions. So let's get into it after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, man. I would like to begin with this one from Dylan Heil, who says, I teach at a secondary school. One of my students is a Liverpool fan, and he keeps humming the Europa League theme tune. (laughs) Whenever I ask him to stop because it disrupts the lesson, he says, I need to get used to it. What should I do? (laughs) Uh, Dylan, I'm not sure if your uh, students know your first name, so apologies if if this isn't possible. But feel free to 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 play this to the class. Uh, I don't know what 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 school you're at, but shout out to you and your students. Uh, as for your student who's humming the Europa League theme to get used to it, all I would say is can relate. <laughs> What at first may feel like maybe like a bit of punishment will actually end up feeling like a big win. It's a joyful thing. It's the best competition. It's the best competition. It's Most the, chaotic. It, great vibes. It's great. And maybe the best food too. Maybe yeah. the best food too. Honestly, the Europa League is, it's not, the, it's not the stigma that it once was. It's really not actually. It's really no, not. No, it's really not, man. No, it's, no. The, it's the, uh, it's what, like Europa League's for the heads. Also, heads. also, I think Liverpool having a chance to rebuild and use some players, you know, they've got, mm. it's a transition for them. They've got some young players coming in and they're betting a new squad. Not the worst thing, a Europa League campaign for them. And I think just, just go for the trophy. Why not? Go for the trophy. Win whatever you're in. Win whatever you're in. That's it. Did you come up with that? I mean, I might have done. I think that, that could be a T. Listen. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Um, this one's for Musa. We've got a question from Ali oh on Twitter. Ali wow. says, question for Musa because we often, oh, we often get to hear Ryan's thoughts on Arsenal during Wrighty's house. Mm. Yes, you do. <laughs> and my thoughts too, to be honest. Yep. On the whole, what are your thoughts on Manchester United's season and what do you hope to see from the upcoming summer transfer window? I just can't see past the Mason Greenwood stuff. I'm sorry. Really? I'm really sorry. That's my honest answer. Just like the way the engagement with that subject, um, I, I just, the engagement with it has just, it's cast such a shadow. In terms of the actual season, the football on the field, Marcus Rashford's form, spectacular. It's been so great to see Casemiro's integration to the team. It's great to see McTominay scoring goals for Scotland. I'd love to see that used more 
as the season goes on. I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure someone like Pep would use McTominay as a nine. I'm sure, I'm sure Pep would use McTominay as a nine and be like, oh, he was a centre forward the whole time. So I'm really excited to see what Ten Hag's brought out of the players in the coaching sense. And I, I look, I think positive signs, the, the 7-0 defeat at Anfield, we have to mention that just because it's, it's a bit of a sort of a temporary black cloud over the season, but I think it's only just an indicator of how much more work there is to do. And yeah, some positive, positive signs on the field, slightly overshadowed by things off them, I would say. Uh, but, but the positive direction and Ten Hag is a coach that can compete at the highest level. But I think that we've seen in the really, the big games against City, I think the FA Cup final was interesting because it's a real indicator of, of the journey and the maturation of the, of the City project compared mm. to the United project. So yeah, three or four years, I think, before United are consistently in the title winning conversation. That's not to say they can't make a run before then, but I think in terms of the, the arc that Ten Hag is on, I think is a positive arc. As long as they sort of some of the off-field stuff, I think they're, um, they're well set. We had a, part of a question from Mega on mm. Twitter was, will Sancho find his form at United? Can I be honest? I can't see it happening at United. I wish, really? I, I, wish I could. I don't want to be negative. It's just that the things that made Sancho so thrilling at Dortmund, the freedom he was playing with, I don't see him having the grace to be that player again. I don't see the patience for him there because I think people, the money he's on, the expectation, the highlight film, it's almost like an uber Pogba situation. Pogba arising on a tide of incredible highlight film and achievements at Juventus. Sancho, even more so. The problem is that Sancho didn't have the back catalogue to buy him the patience. Mm. You know, Pogba had the golden boy at the World Cup. Uh, he, had, he, had, he had the gold, not the golden boy, but he had the best player in the World Cup uh, 2014, the best young player. He had the four Serie A titles, the Champions League final. Sancho didn't have that body of work to fall back on. And I just, <sighs> wide forwards, creative wide forwards who need confidence and a run of form to really get up to speed. The conditions for them to succeed are so specific. I don't think he gets that at United. And I, I, that's the first time maybe I've said that fully out loud, even to myself. But I, I can't, I, I'm not seeing it happening. Here's a question. Yeah. And I'm, I might be being a little bit mischievous here. Sure, sure. He had a great relationship with Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland is at Manchester City. Yeah. Manchester City may need to recruit in a wide forward area. He'd be reborn there. First of all, I'm only joking because for Manchester United would never sell to Manchester, uh, Manchester City. No. And if Manchester City were going to even dangle a bid, it wouldn't be anywhere near the money that Manchester United would want in order to sell Jadon Sancho. I think he might go on loan this year. And if he does go on loan, I'd like to see him go to somewhere like Villa. European competition, great manager. He brings a dimension they need. Yeah. He could experience that freedom there. Alternatively, I'm not sure if he would really fit system-wise, but the obvious choice, the obvious you know candidates as well, Brentford and Brighton, I would throw in there. But I just don't think he really fits from a system point of view necessarily, yeah, especially yeah. at Brighton. Mm. Um, but I still believe in Jadon Sancho because I've seen, I watched him week after week after week at Dortmund, and I saw what he did. A spectacular player, and I player. know what what kind of player he is. He is amazing. Mm. I feel like, yeah, I'm just not entirely sure if that was the happiest move for him, and. We've talked about this so many times on Stadio about how 
sometimes I mean you're seeing it now with Jude Bellingham like personally I would love Jude to stay at Dortmund for another season he's so young he's got the whole like his whole career ahead of him he's only going to get better Mm. he is one of the best players I've ever seen at 19 years old yeah however Jude Bellingham has played a lot of football he has I mean who are we to say what the best thing is for someone else they know but you know what it is it's funny because it's it's not the best thing for Madrid it's funny they need Madrid need Bellingham Weirdly, but more than Bellingham needs but, Madrid. But, but yeah. this is my point. Like, actually, no, I'm a bit concerned that a club the size of Real Madrid, any club really, should need a 19 year old that badly mm. now. You know. Um, but let's be honest, he's not any 19 year old, is he? No, he's, he's that, not. He's that but, 19 year old. Yeah. 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 Do you know he's like? He's like United needing Rooney before everyone fully realised how much United needed Rooney. Mm. That's what it is. He's that. I think he's that significant. Yeah. Player. Anyway, we had quite a few questions that were talking about kind of. Um, football in general or like mm. the health of football but I might save those for a little bit because I think we can mm. push them all into 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 one question but let's have this one from Bardley4 on Twitter which team's fan base should be the most excited for next year based on what they did this year um, will Dortmund be able to have the 2014 San Antonio Spurs revenge tour is this your burner <laughs> it's not will Dortmund burn. be able to have the 2014 San Antonio Spurs revenge tour and beat Bayern to the title next year <sighs> Oh, I don't know about that. It's going to be tough. I think now, because Tuchel is, is, is in a really, really unique position as a Bayern, ma- Bayern mm. manager, in fact, in the sense that he essentially holds more power than any Bayern manager has held for, what, 40 years, maybe? The ring of power. And he will have a full preseason calling the shots and really getting, you know, getting his teeth into that squad. Um. Could be great. Could actually, be not so great. I was going to make a bit of a sort of, um, I was going to make a bit of a smart ass point, but actually the Bayern manager with the most power in the last 40 years is actually Jupp Heynckes just after he won the treble. Because we all know the most powerful Bayern manager is the manager who departs their own terms. There's no more powerful, there's no more powerful Bayern manager than the one that departs their own terms. <laughs> well, was it on his own terms though? Because- treble and bounce. Yeah, but they'd, they'd, they'd announced Pep, the, the, or, or Heinkus knew that Pep was, was going to come in afterwards. So then he just won the treble and left, yeah, left the entry. Yeah. Follow that. You follow that? <laughs> no, but you're, no, you're right about Tuchel. No, you're, but joking aside, you're completely right about Tuchel. Uh, but I think actually the answer was elsewhere in the Bundesliga, it's Union, Union Berlin being in the Champions League. Champions League, yeah, wow. Because here's the thing, regardless of what happens, you're in the Champions League, you'll have an interesting summer transfer window because although prices will be inflated now, there'll be a type of player you can attract that maybe you can attracted before. And it's just going to be a joy being an Union fan, I think. I mean, there will be, the problem with this for Union, I think will be, as things improve for you as a football club, you know, materially speaking, your level of comfort adjusts. So there might be a bit of a romantic longing and a nostalgic longing for times when you didn't expect a certain level of qualification. And my one, one fear, my one fear with Union over time is that Urs Fischer has so normalized success at the club the yeah. expectations become so unrealistic and he starts being judged by things that he shouldn't be judged by. So I just hope people keep a bit of an eye on that, really. Yeah, I agree. I, I've, my sneaking suspicion is that Union will get out of the group this year, but it all depends on the draw. We don't know. But I've just, you know, when you're like, Imagine. It's, almost, it's almost too nailed on that they're going to get out. <laughs> you know? It'd be incredible, man. I mean, oh, yeah. actually, if, yeah, it's part of me that wants them in Arsenal's group. That'd be so good. Oh my goodness. The vibes. 
So good. Good luck getting accreditation for that one. Oh, <laughs> I've given up. Given, given, no, I've given up. I've given up. <laughs> um, but the other part of uh, oh, so yeah, the of Bard's question, Bardley's question was, yeah, which which team's fan base? I would say, I think Burnley's fan base. Oh my god, some of the, the Premier League been playing as well. Some of the football, yeah. Because I think we've seen now that you know there's a bit of a there was a bit of a thing saying that when you came up to the Premier League you can't play a certain type of football otherwise you're just going to go down and there have been numerous cases of teams not doing that this season. Vincent Company strikes me as someone who is extremely extremely smart. And mm. well he is he's a super smart guy anyway, but I mean in terms of a of a of a managerial coaching sense. Yeah. Especially with the way that it started initially, you didn't it didn't look like it was going to go all that for him and what he's captured and found at Burnley and the kind of wave that it felt felt like they've been riding. I'm I'm really excited to see what Burnley do in the Premier League under him. And I think that the 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 great thing about having someone like him there is that people will go and play for him. It's like when Vieira's at Palace. Oh my god. It's like, yeah. You want to go and play for Vincent Company. Or actually, do you know what? Like I know this is a massive would seem like a massive drop down for someone like Jaden Sancho, but we're talking about Jaden Sancho loan deals. Mm. Worst places you can go this season. It's only down the road. Here's the thing: you already know that he's on. He's on shortlist somewhere, managerial shortlists. Yeah, for recruitment, two years now. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, no, not Burnley fans, not disrespectful, but I think that Vincent Company's performance at Burnley mm. has elevated him in the conversation in terms of managers of his generation that are really going to be. We'll look back in like five, six years and be like, yeah, they were the, they were the standard bearers. And really el- and uh, and. And elsewhere, I'd say I'd say Spurs as well, actually. With what oh, Spurs good. fans oh have God. been through Ange, since, wow. since Poch, getting Ange Postacoglu in. In fact, we had a couple of questions on this, so let's mm. pivot to these. One from Clive, who just said, Ange! Question mark, exclamation mark. Amazing. And Andrew Stecker said, what do Spurs need to do to get back into the Champions League slash Premier League contention and how long should it take? Now, I think this is the key thing with Ange Postacoglu's appointment at Spurs. If there, there, there's like... I think Spurs fans and most Spurs fans that I've spoken to about this have already done this. Seb Stafford-Bloor being one of them. Um, Seb, you know, was just like he's just really looking forward to enjoy or looking forward to looking forward to Spurs games again. Yes, and I think that's the that's the thing that they need to recapture. Um, Spurs fans probably won't the like me saying this, day. but the they need to do day. that reconnection. Like, I mean, you look at what Arsenal have done. Like three years ago, that reconnection that's happened over there. I know a lot of people will look at it and be like, well, yeah, most a lot of clubs are like that. But actually, it wasn't there at Arsenal. Spurs are kind of in that position again where Ange Postacoglu is someone who will, you know, galvanise and reconnect. If he's given the opportunity and the authority to do so, he will, he will connect everything back together. And I just, I think if, if Spurs fans can kind of like free themselves of expectation this season coming up and just let, let Ange work, like let them work let them figure it out. There's a lot of unlearning and relearning that that Spurs squad is going to have to do. And to be honest, from a personnel point of view, there are probably going to be a lot of departures and a few slightly interesting signings, I think. And has always been good at signing. Can I say this? A good upper mid-table finish for Spurs, let's say eighth or ninth in the Premier League because it's a rebuild season, right? So just manage expectations. Eighth or ninth for Spurs. With some, with some narrow defeats to very good teams and some standout performances against very good teams 
a couple of disappointing draws, but fundamentally a season which reminds you that you're back on track. A season with enough indications. You know, there's always a season where you finish like mid-table, but you look back at about three years later, you're like, do you know what? Actually, we look at that season and we saw the roots of what it's trying to do because you can't clear out all the kind of problems in one go. What you want at this point is enough indications that it's going to turn around. So you want a few afternoons of thrilling football. We've seen it with Villa, for example, which is not a bad maybe comparison. A few performances where you're like, oh, you know what? One day, we're today it felt like we were back. Mm. And one day we will be back because of days like this. I think that has to be the the measure. Yeah, I think I think also it's worth it. I think it's time to cash in on Harry Kane because if you look at it from a Harry Kane is gonna is gonna get you a certain amount. Like his season, the season has been <laughs> the season extraordinary. It's been unbelievable in that in that dysfunctional aside. The problem is you've got this incredible asset there that you're not really in a position to fully utilise you. It's not going to get you over the line no. because I think you're too far away from it now. If, and it's a big if, if, if Postacoglu and Spurs genuinely think that they can qualify for the Champions League next season, genuinely, then they should keep him. Mm. However, I don't think aiming for Champions League qualification this season is actually a healthy target because it's going to, it's going to cause them to maybe abandon some steps in the process that they're going to need to address. To really be a consistent Champions League yeah. team. Yeah. And you're never going to get more money than you will for Kane now. Right? So if he wants to go and there's an offer that's suitable, I think do it. Clear out a lot of the, a lot of the players that have... We've talked about this before about clearing out... We did it with Chelsea as well, I think, about players who have survived multiple managers. Yeah. And... Kane is diff- Kane's different because he's always performed. Yeah, but I think Spurs could do with moving on a few of those players in that squad before it's too late to get anything back for them. And you- and as we've seen with 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 Postacoglu's uh, transfer policy at Celtic, I'm not sure entire. I mean, I assume that a lot of that was down to him because it was a- he was uh, he brought in some really good players from Japan, which was a market that he'd worked in and a league that he'd worked in. Um consult him on some interesting transfer targets and I think that you've got to if you're serious about moving in a new direction then you need to change you need to change the process and Spurs' process has, has been really confusing over the last few years and I think, and I think yeah yeah, they need I, to they need to maximise what they've got in Ange Postacoglu and I think that might be moving on some senior players I think you have at least three years of elite goal scoring out of Harry Kane you have at least three left at least. I agree. At the very least. And I think you look at what Real Madrid need, what they actually need, I think they should go hard after him. Yeah. Because that's the perfect voice of, of Vinicius. And because he's such a smart player, Kane, as the pace falls off yet more, he's so smart, the build-up play, that he's the perfect foil for all of that. And I think if he goes to Real Madrid, they're again an exceptionally dangerous, they're already dangerous force to go to semi-finals, mm. but I think they return very quickly to the top of the tree. I think that's the perfect move for both player and like it's the best marriage I think of, of player and club in my opinion um, mm. yeah we'll see we'll see what the uh, season is up. do you want to talk about Manchester City got a question yes. from Manchester City which yes. isn't about caveats or the, uh, the finances mm. it's just a good old fashioned football question Musa. wow goodness wow, wow Barry B says how would you compare City's treble to Pep's other treble in 2009 with Barca 
What were both teams better at? How would current Pep plan against 2009 Pep? I'm going to leave that last one out because I think that we'll be here all day bending our brain about it. Um, what do you think? How does it compare? I mean, oh it's, it's very, I mean, 14 years in this, in this, this era is the thing a, is, the a thing gigantic is gigantic amount of time. The thing is the, the players, the big difference is the physicality. Yeah. The this physical is a much power, more physical team. The physical power of Manchester City now makes them formidable in any era. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing about it. The, the midfield three, we, we saw what happened to a midfield three of Busquets, Iniesta and Xavi when they were faced with physical brute force by Munich. It did not, it did not end well. Yeah, didn't do it well. did not end well. And this is why I think that this city at peak performance could be brutal. The only thing I would say about that, though, as a caveat, the, the caveat to end all caveats, is that the 2009 Barcelona team, well, that's became the, well, the 2011 team really mm. is the greatest football team I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. It is the greatest football team I've ever seen. And that team, unfortunately, I think cooks anybody. When they're at peak performance, if you did me peak 2011, I think that's the, not the treble year, but you, 2009 Barcelona they were still in sight and I think the City team beat them but peak Pep peak Pep at Barcelona destroys peak peak Pep at City just because wow, it's, really I just I, I just I just think I just think Ooh. the level I just think that what we are what we witnessed the 2011 I mean that 2011 Messi as well was was is, is I this, mean, this, this I, think, I think there's actually I was talking to someone the other day about this about how I think I think, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I genuinely think some of us have forgotten how good Messi was. We have forgotten. We have forgotten <laughs> because this. Because the thing is, this city team, this city team, hasn't gone through. None of the teams that it's beaten in Europe were at their historic peak, right? Like 2011, neither, because 2011 wasn't the strongest competition. Actually, 2009 was quite a strong one. Mm. It was quite a strong tournament. 2009, like Barcelona scraped through. And they're battle hardening all the way through. So by the time they reach 2011, they've solved all the problems. They've solved all the problems. And the passing, the, the passing carousel, they called it. I just think, I look at that 2011 team in particular. I think that Pep's first, I think, I think that, okay, let, let me revise this properly. I think that. This is interesting. I, mean, I, think, I, I, think, that, I think that City now mm. beat 2009 Pep. Because I think that I the 2009 Pep was still under construction. And if you look at the final in 09, actually United had, a, had an early chance to, to make something of it and they didn't quite capitalise and then like the onslaught started. But 2011, they've solved all the problems and they've got countermeasures to countermeasures. And they're just, this is the thing, that team just dominated world football in a way that we haven't seen before or since and we can forget that. But if we look at the dominant performances of like the top players in the City team and how they've run stuff at the top level, which they have, but like, Xavi did not have a bad game at elite level for basically four straight years. He didn't have a bad game. Like basically he did not have a bad game. And this is week in, week out. And Messi was a supernova. It, it's just, we, we forget how good the 2011 team was, I think. Say for example, if you could throw in some um, timeless Champions League tournament. Right. Uh, Manchester City 2023 against Barcelona 2009. I think Manchester City win that final. I think so. I think so. If they meet in the final next year against 2011, 
mm. Barcelona. I think 2011 Barcelona beat them because even still, we've seen Manchester City sometimes struggle against teams that have really pressed them. We saw them struggle against Inter, actually. Inter... This is the thing. Inter caused Inter Inter's press is nowhere near as effective as that Barca press was like back then. This is the, the thing, thing is now it's hard to judge because this Manchester City team is such a unique mixture of like physicality and technicality. It's extraordinary, yeah. The thing was that that Barcelona 2011 side wasn't the biggest, but they were just everywhere all the time and they somehow smothered teams. Like they made games stressful for people, like really stressful. And the problem is their success often came against sides that weren't used to games being stressful. And I think that's what Manchester City aren't that used still to being stressed in games. I don't think that... See, 2009, Barca against this Inter Milan in this final, I think they beat them. Oh, yeah. And they beat them. Well, you see, it's the, oh, yeah, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. City had that nervy first half. Barca don't have that. Even the 9 Barca doesn't have that first half, especially against teams that sit off them a bit. They don't have that. Then I think the 2011 team, the reason why I think it's still the greatest, I think they, I think the 2011 team demolishes the centre. Th- oh yeah, yeah. I think also, I think, yeah, totally. I think also the thing with that 2011 team was that it was like nothing we'd ever really seen before. And it right. came at a time, I think that adds weight, historical mm. uh, weight to it. I think that what this Manchester City side is, is, it's been a slow evolution of of Pep working out stuff and he's changed things. This is why Pep's such a genius and this is why, even though we mentioned, you know, when we mentioned stuff the other day, like, even with all of the resources that Manchester City have, you replace him with another manager, you don't get this side. You just don't. I think actually, here's the question, the 2024 City team, I think that's the interesting one because this, yeah. this City team is still improving. The reason I don't want to give them those plaudits at this point is they're still improving. This is a team that got run really close in the league by an Arsenal team that was vastly under-resourced. Way ahead of schedule. Way ahead of schedule. So for me, this City team, we have not seen its peak yet. I'm, 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 I'm a little... Now they've got that, that Champions League off, the, off their back. Yes. Right? Uh, there is part of me that is genuinely terrified about what happened. This like, is what, what I mean. I think 2024 City could be one of the best Pep teams we've ever seen. And I'm interested to see... Well, it already is, but I'm, I'm interested to see the, the tactical changes that he makes. Mm. the adjustments he makes because this team already you're looking at like Pep's Bayern which was a monster this team is maybe ahead of Pep's Bayern now which oh, is yeah, I, yeah. yeah you know which I, I can't believe I'm saying that because Pep's Bayern was incredible but this this City oh. team getting the job done football wise this yeah. is one of the and, and to be honest actually I'd say since since February especially because remember there were there were points this season it's interesting about this actually there were points this season that we, I think I said it on the show, like there were points, I was looking at Manchester City and just the way that they were and I was like, Manchester City in the past, you can imagine them going on that run and I, and I think I even said on the show before Christmas, maybe before just after Christmas, I can't remember, there was a World Cup, wasn't there? Oh my mm. God. Uh, I think I remember saying something like, yeah, I just don't see them really doing that at the moment for some reason and then it clicked. Mm. And that to me, since that, They've been, they've they've been one of the best sides I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I I think ever actually. Yeah, genuinely ever. But it's really interesting because there's quite a lot of parallels with the year that um, Flick won the treble with Bayern. Because mm. yes. when, when Bayern yes. fired Kovac before Christmas, Bayern looked so bad. We did a Stadio episode. Do you remember? It was something we always talk about where someone said if you took Bayern 
and put them in the Premier League, where would they finish? And we were like, genuinely, at the moment, they'd struggle to finish top four. Yes. And it wasn't a wild take. And we used it at the end of the season to actually highlight how good a job Hansi Flick had done. Yes. Because by the end of that season, it was like, are we talking about the same side or what? And I think this Manchester City side, bear in mind Haaland scored all of those goals. There was that period in the early bit of the season where he was on on pace, something ridiculous, like 60-odd goals in the Premier League. That's what great managers do. That's what a flick does when he comes in somewhere that needs sorting out. That's what a Pep does. Like there is no more Pep is Pep is never more dangerous than when he has a problem to solve. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. Because he'll just lock himself away and he'll figure it out and he come out and he's got it. And it's like, fuck. And if you don't make uh, I think we were talking about this in the Champions League. I know we're diverting a little bit. No, go for it, go for it. But I, I remember saying in the in the in the Premier League run. It's all about just getting out as far in front as you possibly can because you're going to be hauled in. You're going to be reined in. I think we said this on Stadio about Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, Arsenal's so used to playing catch-up for a Champions League spot that as long as this run kept going at the beginning of the season, just get as many fucking points on the board as you possibly can because you're going to drop points, you know? And it's about whether you've, you've got yourself enough of a buffer at the beginning to get over the line. And they didn't in the end because that City team was... I mean, it's like, it was like watching that program, Stars in Your Eyes. Yeah. It's like they'd gone through that little weird smoky triangle and come out something else. I was just <laughs> like, what the hell? Well, yeah, like, it was a beast. Anyway. Well, then again, the, the reason, again, we keep talking about this, but the thing about the City team that I will still be, I say they've got a level to go. This City, this city team now, they're where Barcelona were in 2009. It's funny because you can argue that in the same way that 2009 Barcelona that got the treble were not at their peak a treble winning City are not at their peak. Mm. And actually City's peak might come two or three years from now, which is which what is they, that, that, will be, that will be their final form. Because actually, if we're going to nitpick, City's attack, if you look at like the Barcelona team that wins in 2011, which is the final form of Barca, mm. the strikers are scoring. Pedro, sco- uh, um, Pedro scores the opener. Uh, David Villa scores. Messi scores. The front three score. They're maximising their goals. They didn't maximise their goals against Inter. The front three was not working perfectly um, because they found a way to minimise the threat. And this is not criticising Holland at all. It's just saying that in terms of the spaces they're finding, the spaces that City will find two years from now, not the spaces they're finding now, they're still working out their dominance across all formats, right? And this is, that, again, that's a scary thought to say, but same with Barcelona in 2009. No, not knocking City. City. City, it clicked for them at the end of the season. The next two years, we'll see how good they'll become. And I'm open to the conversation. I'm open to saying that this could be the greatest club side ever assembled. But I don't think we're there yet because if you look even player for player at Barca and who they had, you know, even player for player like Xavi, Iniesta, Peak Iniesta, Peak Busquets. Peak Busquets is, is better than a Peak Rodri. Or, no, no, that's not fair. Peak Busquets is better than Rodri so far. And I say that out of respect to Rodri. Um, peak Xavi, Peak Iniesta, Peak Messi. I mean, you know, because Messi's peak lasted about 15 years. <laughs> oh, the, like, honestly, that side, like, thing, I just, I keep getting flashbacks of when that run of Arsenal games against them and it was just... Dude. It was horrific. Because this is the thing, they've disappeared. The thing people forget, I think are forgetting is the speed at which these players disappeared. The ball was already gone, mm. actually. You could have the complex pressing schemes and passing schemes, but the ball's already gone. The individual quality of Messi, the way that Pep would talk about Messi in in press conferences when he was at Bayern and people thought Pep was just trying to like minimise by going when Messi decides to take over the game it's done and Pep was just being honest and he was right that game when Bayern played them in 2015 in the semi 
Bayern are actually really quite good and really brave. Mm. And the game has decided in the last 13 minutes. They go to 1-0 up after 77 minutes. Until then, they've given them a really good game at the camp now, but then Messi decides, actually, um, we, we'd like to win this tie. Thank you. And that was it. Mm. We decided. And that wasn't question, even man, a peak I feel like, Love that question. Love that question. Yeah, I think it's, it's really, because I think that like, to me, this current Manchester City feels like all of the, all of the kind of like iterations and experiments that Pep has done at various, mm. and those various Barca and Bayern teams and even Manchester City teams. And he's just got it all. He's got it. It's like, there was, a, there was an interesting thing he said, I think in the post-match, comf- uh, post-match coverage where he was talking about uh, one of the main differences is just that like he has, like this side loves defending. <laughs> wow. And it's like, that'll do it when you got like that balance. Mm. Anyway, um, let's do more questions. I like that question though. Love it. Love it. Got me thinking, got my takes out. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, John Squires says, what changes would you like to see to reduce the industrial scale time-wasting that is sadly commonplace? Just uh, told this, I think we've mentioned this before, but just um, stop the clock. Change the halves to half an hour and just when the ball's not in play, stop the clock. Buzzer beaters. Oh my God. That'd make games longer though. Yeah, it would. It'd make games longer because people then spend, people actually stop the game, stop the clock and they'll time-waste out of possession, they'll time-waste when the ball's out. They'll stop and I reckon, have tactical instructions. Yeah, I reckon what will happen is players will sign private endorsements with, with companies and then they'll actually like go down time waste so that they can sneak in a commercial. That's the thing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, football's already doomed, man. Let's just fucking, let's, let's, let's fully, let's ramp it up. Just enable no, but refs. I, I, I mean, yeah. I think it's... Uh, it's, it's an interesting one because the time wasting's always been there it's just that we're all I think with a lot of football stuff now we're all just a lot more in tune with I'm it. not even noticing it's that worse I don't know is it that much worse or are people just like uh, I mean it does happen yeah there was that thing there was that, that athletic piece where was it Bazunu on his own managed to kill 13 minutes of the game against Arsenal wow yeah wild huh just on goal kicks so I feel like when the ball is out of play and the ball is dead, it is possible. You, ha- you literally have a whistle. Mm. So, or you literally have the point at where the ball crosses the line. 30 minutes and a half, stop the clock. Could be fun. It's too radical. I think they should trial it in like the Emirates Cup or something like that because in a, in a 
in, in, in a trophy that, you know, always seems to be geared up for Arsenal to win in some way. They might as well just do it. In a, I just, in a I just, I just think, thing. I just think in a, in a high pro, in a huge game, in a huge match, people waste time between stoppages and it'll just be like drawn out and it'll be even more agonizing. And everyone will just be like, what are we doing? Or you could go full comedy and you know how they have like the spider cam that's always moving around, right? But you know, so it's like, you know the thing I'm talking about, right? In, in the stadium. Mm. The, the camera that moves around because it's attached at four points on a zip line thing. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah, know yeah. the camera I'm talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah, 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 right. But you know like those, those like vending machine arcade games that have the claw to get the... Basically, you could probably introduce one of those with a similar system that if a player has gone down and they're clearly time-wasting, the claw just kind of grabs them and puts them in air jail. <laughs> so that they're just suspended in the stadium for like a little mini air jail sin bin for two minutes. And everyone's just like, ah, <laughs> look jail. at them, they're just laughing. Public <laughs> shaming. <know>. Public <laughs> shaming as <laughs> so a response. People, people do it with their puppies. So like, let's do oh it with football players. Oh my God. I think in a slight defense of the time wasters, a lot of the time it's evening up the odds. Teams that, yeah, generally, yeah, yeah. teams that generally waste time are teams that are just trying to narrow the odds. And in a game where inequalities are so extreme all over the field and oh, no, off the field sorry I don't know I'm not I'm not the worst against it I'm not the most against it like when a team that's like stacked if you're playing if like France playing in a World Cup like second round group stage second round game against a team that's outmatched in terms of firepower I'm not against the team that's wasting time so much I'm just like actually when you're planning against an Mbappe or whatever <sighs> pragmatism is what it is and that's kind of part mm. of football like Part of the challenge of football is how do we stop a team wasting time? How do we apply pressure? How do we, you know, they're just doing what they have at their, at their disposal. So I don't know, I wouldn't like to crack down much more because referees are empowered already to card players and award, you know, referee kicks all over the pitch for that stuff. So I don't know, man, like let the refs do their job. That's what yeah. I feel. Yeah. Great question, by the way. Not to dig me because I think about this philosophically, like time wasting. But actually, I think, well, no, but who, yeah. who uses it most often? I think, I think the thing is, 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 is clamping down on it maybe a little bit sooner. Like there is no point giving a goalkeeper that has already wasted 12 minutes a yellow card in the 91st minute. Right. Just get on right. it early. It needs to yeah, happen yeah. early. Do you know what I want? I, I, I want, I mean, you know me, I want just chaos, right? So I yes. want, I want a game to be abandoned because there aren't enough players left on the pitch because they've all received too many bookings for, for time wasting. Oh my god! Listen, it needs. I want. I want a, a a game that has its own Wikipedia page. Can I be honest? For total chaos, then I want. I want a snitch option in football. So when a player fouls someone anywhere on the pitch and they get a yellow for it, and the ref goes, "Okay, you've got a yellow, but you've got an option." Who would you nominate on your pitch to get the yellow? I want that option because I, at some point, somewhere in the, in the professional leagues, someone will nominate a teammate to take their yellow for them and all hell will break loose. <laughs> That's what I want. That's the chaos I want. Or one way to stop it would be that if you, because technology is quite high, you know, a lot of these pitches are very high tech, you mm. know. So um, each pit, each square meter of the pitch is essentially its own panel. A trapdoor. So oh my God. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But just a not, not, <laughs> but not, 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 it just, it just moves down and you basically just get like, you're just taken out of the way. So basically it's just like, okay, you can't join unless you're good again. So the game carries on, but you just take the player out of the system. 
<laughs> so draconian. <laughs> Air jail and trapdoors. A, a trapdoor on the pitch. So dystopian. <laughs> They'll listen back to this five years later and be like, that was his origin story. That was when he first... <laughs> this, is where, this is where it began. This is where it became radicalised. Trapdoors and football pitches. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not being serious, but you know, like, it's not like a trapdoor, more like a little... I mean, I you know when like, like Rihanna comes up for the beginning of a concert on a, yes. on a <laughs> or Santa Cazola <laughs> yeah. presented, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. that. It's not, see, actually, actually, <laughs> fuck you, Musokwanga. I didn't even say trapdoor. You went there, <laughs> painted a picture, painted no, a picture. <laughs> I was just thinking like a little, like a little, almost like a like a little tiny elevator that would just go, <laughs> you know. You just drop down a, you know, you're allowed back in as long as you're fine. As soon as you're fine, you come back in. It just goes. Listen, I'm just, I'm off. just, I'm just, I'm just asking the question. If you had a pitch of trapdoors, would people tune in to see it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> of course they would. <laughs> no one would have to worry about TV rights ever again. Everyone's tuning into that. I think they should abolish FFP, implement the trapdoor and air jail policy. Watch TV revenues rocket and distribute evenly so we can get rid of this bullshit once and for all. <laughs> there it is. The manifesto. And there ain't no doubt in my mind about that, Musa. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Whew. Okay, great question. Why the hell do people listen to us? It's, it's ridiculous. It's We've come too far now. Sunk cost fallacy. Come too far. I'm too, yeah, I'm too, I'm too, I'm too deep into it now, Musa. <laughs> All right, let's do a few about this uh, about this stuff. So, mm. Michael Vingello, hope I pronounced that right. Michael says, "How are you feeling after this season about the health of football overall?" Um, the the follow up to that is encouraged by the rise of smaller wage bill teams having success, or mm. discouraged by the big teams gen- that the generally the big teams generally won out anyway. Mm. Reese said, with clubs like Burnley starting pre-season already and competitions being stacked on top of each other in club and international football, what is the end goal for football? How long can we go without a fixed number of games? And then a final one from Nevada Cullen said, in this truly exhausting season of football, what were the most joyful moments for you all? As a Chelsea fan from the US, mine was getting to see our women's team lift the WSL trophy in person, which is lovely. So three questions there, basically about how are we feeling about the overall health of football so far? Could the schedule be involved in that? And mm. what were some moments of joy from this season? Feeling like Pep, actually, after the final when Pep said, come on UEFA, FIFA, sort it out. These players will be back playing football. Yeah. International football. They'll be back playing two, three weeks. That is, is too much. And I think Pep's absolutely right there. So the health of football, starting with the health of the players, the people that provide the spectacle, and the health of the players is not being respected. That's a real problem. Mm-hmm. The club with the resources of City still struggling with injuries and getting people backed. And not even, it's not even about resources, it's about just the player welfare or the physical welfare. Too many games is my feeling. Um, I mean, do, just on your, that, FIFA Pro yeah. released a report in the last few days saying that um, a warning of the risk to mental health careers and personal, personal lives of players this is why players are peaking so young. They're, play, they're playing at peaking at two years early because they've played two years more football, actually. Yeah. So basically, it's in the adverse effects on player health and well-being. It was compiled by the foot, with Football Benchmark. Um, you, can, you can 
you can view it actually if you just search for it. Um, put that. There's there's some bullet points they put here. Vinicius Junior has at 22 already played 18,876 minutes club and national team football, more than twice as much as former Brazilian playmaker Ronaldinho at the same age. Oh my god. Spain's Pedri had, at the age of 20, played more than 12,000 minutes, 25% more minutes than Xavi at the same age. Kylian Mbappe has, at 24, played 26,952 minutes, 48% more than Thierry Henry at the same age. Jude Bellingham has played more than 30%, sorry, has played more than 30% more minutes of competitive football. No, sorry, Jude Bellingham will have played more than 30% more minutes of competitive football by his 20th birthday later this month than Wayne Rooney. <gasps> and Wayne Rooney played at serious intensity mm. and played all the time. Now, admittedly, those yeah. are all generational talents. But the, t- the, yeah, but but the intensity of football, if you look at Rooney, this is, you look at how much quicker the game is. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that Rooney couldn't compete at this. Of course he could. Well, but the intensity of football now and it just keeps getting it gets it's getting you know it's faster all the, the sprints that the physical attributes needed dude the burnout and the, the injuries mm-hmm. is the thing the problem is when you fall off now physically the margins for physical achievement are so much smaller so when you get an injury it's really devastating when you come back you look at Aiden Hazard for example Hazard mm-hmm. you know he did get in some kind of shape but he just couldn't regain it and you wonder if Hazard in a previous generation could regain a measure of form. We already saw how an injury to Kaka destroyed him at the top level. And that was like in the mid 2000s, mid late 2000s. Now it's even worse. Mm. And I just wonder, again, I wonder where it ends. I wonder when the beast stops feeding. I mean, we've, we've had a few moments on Saudi where we wonder what the end goal is. And I feel like there doesn't seem to be any real, like, let me throw this out there. UEFA are in big trouble. Oh, they are. Okay, absolutely. let me throw this yeah. in as well. Okay, the end goal. The end goal, if UEFA aren't careful, comes from the outside because UEFA have got very arrogant. They've left, they left themselves open to competitors. They've made the fan experience really bad in the Champions League final the last couple of years, right? If, uh, and I've called this All like, finals a lot. Well, actually, I've spoken to you. I've spoken to you about this. Yeah, so I've spoken to you so, away from the podcast, but I've kind of called it like a football populism. Mm. If you have a kind of different version, a more sophisticated version of the Super League that promises more revenues, better sharing with less pressure on players. And they offer an absolute, a huge chunk of money to certain clubs and go, listen, let's break away a few clubs at a time. And if they're smart, they might target not just like five or six clubs, but actually 40 clubs in different leagues and go, we'll throw a chunk of cash at you and just give this a go. Will reduce your travel time. Will reduce your financial, your physical burden. Increase your financial revenues. UEFA are leaving themselves open to exploitation attack because they think they're the only predator in the water. They think they're the only organisation that can that's going to run football. They think their reign is endless, and we know that historically, when empires think they're infallible and immortal, that's when they fall short. And I've just seen too many reports about UEFA's behaviour, oversight of these tournaments oversight of players' arrogance. FIFA too, I don't think either are necessarily safe. And I don't no. know, not, not, not to be dramatic, but this is what, when you disrespect people so much, you build the kind of, not the moral case, you build the emotional case for an alternative. So if there's a kind of, if UEFA and FIFA aren't careful and don't sort their act out, they might be heading for a crash far bigger than either of them envisage, actually. They need to be careful. I think the problem that football has is that 
too many of the stakeholders in the game want different things. And you're only going to really get a solution with football to streamline and modernize and preserve the game as a, as a sport for the future if a lot of those stakeholders align and some of them concede. Mm. For example, there is too much money in top-level football. There doesn't need to be more money in top-level football. Top-level football has not needed more money for ages. What needs to happen, and I say this, we had a couple of City fans chime back at us this week about like the caveats and the FFP stuff, like using that as a kind of thing, because I feel like we've talked about this before and I think Mm. anyone who's listened to Stadio for a sustained period of time knows our thoughts about this. This is coming from an Arsenal fan and a Manchester United fan who would genuinely be okay with seeing our clubs be less successful I mean, there's a joke in there that they haven't been that successful for a little while. <laughs> but What's the square root for example, <laughs> I'm joking. We've talked about this before on Stadio a million times. Our idealistic view of club football is to increase the competitive nature of sport, make it cyclical, make success cyclical. You know, for example, if it made sense for, I'll use Arsenal as an example, to sell their most high profile players who were like in their late to mid twenties and build around a core group of young players who we knew weren't going to win anything for a good few years, but had the potential to grow together with the occasional piece to become real contenders for two or three years, maybe four. And then maybe the cycle restarts and it's five, 10. Now not everyone is going to win, Mm. but not everyone can win in sport. And the problem that we've had at the moment and we've, the problem that we've got over the last decade or so is that the funnel is, narrowing over who can win and that fucking sucks it sucked before sovereign state ownership took hold yeah and it sucks now it doesn't make what was before that okay Not and no one when anyone criticizes state-owned clubs just for the mm-hmm. record because i want to put a thing in this no one on this show is saying that the alternative of just having a bundle of legacy clubs for want of better terms running away with it and extending their financial margin over everyone else is the alternative that we prefer. Hell no. Listen to our Bundesliga stuff, for example. Yeah. yeah the problem that the FFP has is that it does, f- it favours those clubs who have got a, who have got a bigger fan base. And, and some might say that rightly so. I personally don't think that's great because you're only going to, ex- that those clubs all of a sudden aren't just going to reduce the amount of fans. Mm. F1, poor example, because they, they're actually having one of the rebel having one of the most dominant seasons that a team has had so far but they tried to implement cost cap stuff that's the way that football I think as a whole needs to go the problem that you've got with cost capping is that what will be the cost cap for the Premier League will be different to the Eredivisie and will be different to Serie A the Bundesliga La Liga yeah. Liga uh, etc because the, the, the gap in the Premier League is essentially is the problem right mm. It's the problem that not a lot of English people really want to talk about too much because it's hashtag the greatest league in the world. But it has caused such a gigantic problem for UEFA mm. in terms of the other, the rest of the leagues are all like, hey, well, how, what, I mean, like, what, you know? And, and you could argue that that's not the Premier League's fault for being commercially savvy. In a massively roundabout, moany way, what I'm saying is we've talked about this a lot. I think that there needs to, you need to have owners fans, sponsors, associations, federations. At one point, they all need to go, yeah, actually, we need to like be prepared to take a bit more of a financial hit just to make sure that there is actually a game in 50 years. 
mm. because football's at that point now where it needs it needs to do something. Otherwise, it's fucked. Yeah. I know this is a big monologue and I'm sorry, but I just feel go like for it, go for it, go for it. occasionally, especially with stuff like this, we have to remind people of where our thoughts are on it. Mm. It is not that like this is good and therefore this is bad. You know, there isn't or this is bad and therefore the alternative is good. No, actually, I think football on the whole, it's going to take something big, but it does need a gigantic rethink, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I support a club. I support a club that got turned to a debt mountain. Yeah, One yeah, final yeah. thing, and, and that goes for, and using my own club as an example, I mentioned this on the last pod, like yeah. having Visit Rwanda on your shirts. It's all just a bit gross, but <laughs> it's kind of where we're at. And like, just because we're not mentioning this every second breath, I feel like there are enough Stadio episodes now that people who've been listening long enough will, will be aware of like where we're at on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did I go off on a bit of a tangent there? No. No, you went, you went exactly where you were meant to go. And also, in addition to that, caps, so that it means that actually, for example, if, if Brighton or Villa or anyone like that who have had really, Brentford, who have had really, really unbelievable seasons, were actually operating with the same wage bill, and I feel like wage bill is the key. And it has to be, the problem with that is that it has to be policed very, very heavily and that's going to cause problems because as we've seen with football, not massively great at policing admin. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> um, but I think like wage bill caps, like essentially salary caps, like having basketball, maybe, maybe that's the place to start. It's tricky, but you're, yeah, you're going to have the transfer fee bit and that means that maybe most players are still going to go to the, the bigger clubs, but maybe you cap a calorie, uh, cap a salary, uh, a transfer spend as well. Mm. That's just stuff off the top of my head, but that I think, like, if, imagine if Brighton and Villa and all those teams had the same wage bill as like Man City. Yeah, then maybe you'll see. I'd, and maybe I'd just deal. wait and wait. Maybe wait, make weight groups differently. Yeah, you know, knockout, knockout stages, different weighting of groups. Two leg knockout straight away. Make make. Do you know what I think? <laughs> Trump had make America great again. Oh no, here he is. I'm going to get a cap saying make failure great again. <laughs> it's okay not to win everything all the time in football. <laughs> all right, enough of my fucking football populism, soapboxing, <laughs> fucking football virtue signaling. The woke cast, the woke cast. Oh, it's too woke, myself. The final, final part of this question from Nevada Colin was In this truly ex- exhausting season of football, what were the most joyful moments for you all? Napoli winning the league. I just can't see past oh, it. I just so think nice. it's such a, the whole season, my one regret is not getting down to a game, uh, the uh, Diego Maradona Stadium, but still, was it Diego Armando Maradona Stadium? The full name. But um, that's one regret I have, but no, no, no problem there. Like it was joy to watch it from afar and the football they played was just, uh, that was the highest point for me. Just watching Spalletti get it over the line, make it happen, watching all those yeah. players. And, and in a country- bouncing. In a country that politically has had a lot of challenges, you know, recently, mm. to see a team of diverse talents, you know, both, you know, diverse ethnically, but also like, you know, in football terms as well, to see a team come together like that was really beautiful. Yeah. That's um, moments of joy. Reese Nelson's <laughs> winner against Bournemouth from an Arsenal point of view, just because that was a very 
right unbelievable feeling spill every drink in sight <laughs> yeah although i remember sat, i think i remember i was just sat on my sofa watching it and i just my mouth just was just like <gasps> that was it i didn't really jump and scream or anything like mm. that. um moments of joy sebastian Allen's first goal for dortmund wow that's a lovely shout yeah union getting to the champions league was big can so i say big. actually bundesliga kola morani's revenge tour after the world yeah. cup him just going into like him going into warp drive, returning to the World Cup, and every game I watched Frankfurt Eintracht in either live or highlights, he was lights out brilliant. It was really thrilling to see that. Just for someone to come back and be like, I've got the fire in me again. That was gorgeous to see. Um, him and all taking Real Sociedad to the Champions League. Yeah, and also, just, to be honest, I know it's a cliche, but Messi going on that World Cup run. Like Messi actually, yeah, actually if we're going to yeah. be real, because we'd, waited, the World Cup, don't we'd yeah. waited for it and to get it that way, like, and arguably every, almost every game, apart from the Saudi game, Messi was man of the match. Yeah. Like you could argue that like it was having watched Messi all those years and watch him, you know, he's provided all that joy to all billions of viewers. I mean, that man's, you know, provided entertainment week in, week out for years to see him get his prize in that style was extraordinary. I think Napoli and Messi, you know, that is, those, those have to be the two for me, I would say. Um, yeah. All right. A couple of questions about the Women's World Cup. And this is maybe where we, we fully share our plans. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Sibley said, Hey, Ryan and Musa, without trying to impose on your impending and well-deserved break, thank you very much. I'm curious to know what your plans are for the Women's World Cup. Are you guys going to be covering the tournament at all or are you leaving it to slash collaborating with the counter-pressed gang? Or perhaps even a visit out here is in order so you're on the ground for the tournament. <laughs> and Chris Lonergan says, When are you coming down to New Zealand for the Women's World Cup? Stadio Southern Hemisphere Tour dot 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 um, due to counter pressed and obviously them being specialists and focusing on women's football yeah uh, Wright's House and Stadio is going to get out of the way for the summer and really let's, let counter press do their thing let them cook let them cook oh my god cooking <laughs> chaos listen that should be the counter press t-shirt cooking <laughs> in chaos <laughs> I think Ian might be on a few counter-pressed episodes and I don't know if we, if we get an invitation maybe we can pop in I'm not turning on an invite i tell you that much I know I know I've been on I've been on before it's very fun I sat there and watched Becky and Flo argue about Ted Lasso it was incredible having been the, <laughs> literally never watched it so I was the neutral <laughs> um, but I'm going to enjoy it as fans and I don't know like we ne- never say never but I think that for us just on this while we're here we were going to save it for the final episode on Thursday but the last few years has been quite, quite a lot for us because we're only a two-man team at Stadio. We don't have a group of other people working on our, on, on our stuff behind the scenes. Just mm. Moose and I on Stadio stuff. <laughs> and, and I think going, uh, can, you know, while it, we're very, very lucky and blessed to do what we're doing, we know that. It's been, this season particularly felt really quite tough. We've, each of us have, at various points of the season has had things going on behind the scenes. And yeah, it's been a lot. Yep, yep. And and combining that with a lot of the stuff that's gone on the field, and then having to talk about a lot of stuff that's gone off the field and the calendar, it's been it's been pretty intense, mm. you know. Especially with Wright's house as well, um, which obviously I kind of have a bit more of a heavy involvement with. Mm. So definitely a break. Working on some other non-podcast studio stuff, which kind of just got left because of the pandemic, and we then when we started traveling again. We realised actually that, wow, it was actually quite calm when we couldn't go anywhere. Mm. 
Yeah. So working on a lot of that and then getting a bit of a refresh and a bit of break and then I'm back for for the new season. So yeah, no no plans to do Stadio, unfortunately, for the Women's World Cup, but that is because the counter press team will have you covered. Absolutely. They're brilliant at that. So yeah. One final question. Alvaro Eriksson said, How do you recommend we recover from the past packed and hectic European football season? which included the Men's World Cup in the middle, feels like we could all use a break for football for a bit. I would say do nothing football-related for a week. Pick up a book, actually abandon, preferably far from a screen of any kind. Far from a screen, far from a chat forum. Um, log out, give your passwords to friends. <laughs> <laughs> Who can then set fire to passwords? No, just go out, go out. as far, Well, no, go, go and... Um, Enjoy ourselves however you can, I think, and just yeah, detox definitely. from it. And actually give ourselves time to reflect because even people ask me about favourite moments of the season, there have been so many moments that it's actually forcing me to, it's been so much to process and take in. Mm. That even Messi's World Cup, like I almost forgot it, naming favourite moments. I, I, forgot, yep. I forgot that in the middle of the season, Messi went and won a World Cup in that style. That's how well it is. Yeah, yeah, everything yeah. just moves at such a pace. I feel like it doesn't, I think, yeah, everything moves at such a pace with football at the moment. I know life's like that as well, especially post-pandemic where everything mm. kind of, I don't know. I had a few conversations with friends as well and I just think that on a, on, a, on a level, I know it's very easy to get a little bit maybe overly dramatic with this stuff, but I feel like many of us maybe didn't give ourselves enough time to transition back into real life and we all underestimated the impact that that might, might take on us or the toll that that might take on us. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I think that's just because everything else, is, there's been so much like bad, bad news that's been going on in the last few years as well. And I think that that's what makes it very difficult when you come to football is your escape and then you also have to deal with the complexities in football and the bad stuff in football and all that kind of stuff. It can be really exhausting. So I think that I personally don't think there is any harm whatsoever just completely turning off from football detach for a bit don't worry about any transfers come back watch the women's world cup but yeah i reckon i reckon go outside yes if you can go outside turn your phone off open a window oh. let the sun in if you have sun in your part of the world or if you have cold in your part of the world if you're in a if you're in a city as cold as berlin let the cold in um can't imagine we're colder than berlin um so you know wrap up warmer if there he is <laughs> <laughs> just a quick disclaimer for Canadians don't don't come crying to me Canadians <laughs> just go straight <laughs> to him at Okwonga leave me out of it <laughs> <laughs> alright I reckon we should we leave our mail back there let's do it let's do it yeah um, we got one more episode of the season coming up Thursday so we'll do a proper goodbye then um, but yeah I'm looking forward to that it's a bit, bit of a different episode yes. a little bonus one to round up the season but yeah I hope everyone's staying safe staying well don't forget to check Stadio on Twitter Stadio Football on Instagram check the Stadio Actress Place on Spotify speaking of which we're playing out on Behind the Mirror Image Mix by Code Industry anything you would like to add Musa Okwonga nothing further wunderbar <laughs> alright everyone much love have a good week. We'll be back with you on Thursday. See you then.